Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael, myself, or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Wednesday, April the 6th, 2016. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome to Recovery Wednesday. Hi, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everyone. We're honored that you've uh, decided to join us and uh, to share in this process of awakening from all forms of hostility and fear and returning to the truth of your human life as a human being, and that is as love. We're here to support that experience in each person on the planet, and the experience comes out of one doing one's work, or it can happen rather spontaneously. As we discussed yesterday, there's an awesome uh, video that just in, in 20 minutes, you can just see the whole thing unfold before your eyes, exactly what human life um, looks like and what it's capable of, really, truly capable of. If you watch a simple TED video uh, from a woman named Anita Morjani, and uh, if you are with us on Facebook, you can uh, take a look. I posted that yesterday. It's just uh, an awesome, simple conversation from a woman who lived a life of trauma and pain here to the point where her body is so riddled with cancer that she's down to 86 pounds and the doctors are telling her family that she has minutes to live. She's in her last hours and she's going to die. And she goes into a coma and dies. And she describes, I don't know, it's five or six years later that she's doing a TED Talk. After she died, she describes her experience where she gains instructions realizes how she's created her cancer, what the work is that she needs to do. Now, she doesn't get specific about what that is, but she is checked out of the hospital within a matter of days and six weeks later is pronounced cancer-free. This is someone who had lemon-sized, she described them as lemon-sized tumors all over her body, her neck, her back, her abdomen, just totally covered in lemon-sized tumors. And, And six weeks later, doesn't have any cancer. What does that say about us as human beings? Well, Dr. Tim mentioned something that I bring up often, and that is the greatest atrocity done to us as human beings down through the ages, and that we've bought into, and we've been told, we've had hidden from us, the fact that we are by nature creators. We are creative beings. 
And most people create their lives from unconscious dynamics out of the past. And those unconscious dynamics out of the past are so painful and so traumatic to deal with that they find ways to hide from themselves. And our show today, being Recovery Wednesday, is going to be about a situation where that has occurred for someone and kind of a bird's eye view and a look at some of the ways that the mind can resist and fight and struggle against the willingness to do one's work, the stories one tells themselves. This woman talks a little bit about where she lived uh, as she developed cancer and, uh, and became so uh, riddled with tumors that they tell her she has hours to live. And, you know, the mind can rationalize and lie to us and tell us all kinds of stories about how we're not responsible for what's happening in our lives. And when we give all that up, when we return to the truth of who we are, then we have the opportunity to awaken to something different. We get the opportunity to step in, do the work that's required to return to the truth of who we are, as the presence of love, and to live in that presence. So that's what we're here to support. That's what we're here to do. And that's exactly what we are here to bring forward into the day. Uh, Jeannie, is uh, Dr. Tim with us? Uh, I do not see him, and I was actually just going to make an announcement. Gail is with us. But any of the people who normally join us on Recovery Wednesday, whether it's Dr. Androcki, Dr. Tim, Gail, um, David, anybody that's going to participate in the conversation, if they would please hit one, because there's several people listening today, and that keeps me from having to scroll back and forth and back and forth trying to find you in the phone numbers. So if you're with us, press one, and that'll put you in queue so that I know that you're here. But no, Dr. Tim is not with us either. Okay, great. Well, let's say Unless he's using Gail. a phone number that I'm not recognizing. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, let's say hello to Gail and see how she is today. I am good. I am well. Wonderful. What's exciting in your world? Um, continuing to work on Laws of Living, works, um, laws of living Homework, and it's starting to create momentum and um, oh, things are starting to take care of themselves. Um, tell me what that means. Tell me what momentum what, that t- what, what that means. Um, last summer when I did the Laws of Living homework to achieve um, the six weeks in order to get the certification, I was doing it to do it. Um, and I was allowing myself to get behind and then would catch up. And that is not that's not good when you're doing a goal management worksheet that is a worksheet that needs to be done daily. Um, uh, the momentum isn't allowed to um, to take place, and um, it causes a lot of resistance. It, it did for me at least last summer when I was doing it. This time I'm doing it because I want to um, grasp these tools and be able to learn them on a daily basis. And something that happened to me, um, I'm going to give major props to Camille and her integrity. Um, We are uh, Laws of Living partners, accountability partners, and we were talking, I believe, on Monday. And she told me that she was having difficulty and she was asking for help. And I was able to provide her with that help. I, I didn't think that I had the knowledge and experience to help her. And it came out, and and we went through um, three of the worksheets. We went through the purpose again, and we went through um, we went through the plan worksheet, and then we went through the goal management worksheet and put that all together and how it flowed. And that created an opening for me. Um, I guess we truly teach what we best need to know, what we best need to learn, and. Um, that got me into integrity about making a daily commitment to do this instead of let, allowing myself to get behind and do it. And since Sunday, um, I've been able to maintain that daily commitment, and um, it's cause that is 
working on effect opposed to cause, I mean, effect, replacing effect, if if that makes any sense. And it, it's building momentum. It's build, building the momentum that it's supposed to. It's naturally coming. Um, and things are starting to manifest. Did I describe that well enough? <laughs> awesome. Yes, that's fabulous. Great work. Very cool. Well, that's exactly what the uh, the ongoing, you know, oftentimes people will resist the ongoing and continuous work, and uh, and then they wonder why they don't get the results, so the results are sporadic. And when you realize, you know, it, the analogy you've heard me use many times that fits here is that, you know, if for, you know, 35, 40, 50 years, I've been getting up every morning and taking a shower and washing my body. Is there a point at which I'd say to myself, well, you know, I've washed my body enough. I'm going to stop doing that now. I'm not, I don't have to shower anymore. We all know what the result would be pretty quickly. Well, and it's exactly the same in the realm of doing one's work. If I'm not willing to do my work, then chances are, I'm going to end up just like that body would be, would start to get kind of stinking. I'd be stuck in stinking thinking. And uh, that's one of the biggest diseases on the planet. And uh, we're here to uh, to support the healing of that dynamic and to support one's willingness. And the point at which it's most important, my offering is, to do your work is the point at which most people are in the deepest resistance to doing their work and the willingness one of the things that I'm, I'm going to share a little bit of, um, of a, a, a series of texts that I did with someone yesterday who recognizes, and actually someone that I've had several conversations with over the years, about addiction. And in this case, it's addiction to pot. There were other drugs involved at other times in this person's life, but, um, but she's been able to, to, to whip all of those, but has lots of stories for why pot isn't a big deal and she can continue that and so I'm going to just share a little bit of our interaction and get your input and I understand that Terry Bowling's hand is up so let's say a quick hello to Terry and uh, see what Terry's got to share before I go into the uh, the sharing of this text Terry how are you sir hey Michael I'm doing very well how are you doing I am well, doing awesomely well. What's exciting in your world? Um, Today's radio show. Yay. (laughs) Well, based Uh, on uh, on what I I was saying, have you got anything to share before I go into these texts? No, I'm interested in hearing that. I've uh, certainly come across that piece of denial many, many times, and it's like, uh, uh, what's what's, what's the newest excuse here? So, and it's okay, people just are where they are, you know, but it's interesting to hear and see what the rationality is behind it or irrationality, however you want to perceive it. So we'll we'll listen to right. that, and then at some point, if it's appropriate, we'll comment back. And um, also, I had a little piece about uh, another uh, uh, lesson I received or a lecture that uh, I was privy to back a while back around the uh, uh, origins of the 12 steps and all. But that's another topic. Let's stay on your little topic here for now if you want to. Okay, great. We'll do it. And uh, right. Bill Constantino has his hand up as well, so let's say hello to Bill and see if he has anything to share about this topic before we move into it. Bill, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Michael. How are you? And Jeannie. Awesome. Welcome. <laughs> for those who, uh, right. who don't remember this voice, this is the young man who created the PowerPoint presentation that is so awesome that puts together our, my 35 years of work in first century Aramaic forgiveness in a logical way that somebody can just sit through it and review it until they understand it in just 24 minutes a shot. It's, uh, it's an awesome piece of work, Bill. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the 35 years. <laughs> hey, delighted. My honor and blessing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just one bit of news and then um, a couple of questions or comments. So we have um, our next 30-day forgiveness adventure is beginning in the uh, Grand Rapids area. So we already have 10, 10 people signed up. So um, May 22nd, we begin that little um, healing process again. And 
it continues to grow, which is great. People are um, new faces are showing up, and we have return faces as well. So it's um, I'm excited about that format to be able to give people um, an extended chance to really work with a wide range of tools and and be able to put them into practice into their daily lives. So, um, yeah, that's uh, one update. And the that is um, fabulous. the question, yeah, yeah, it's going it's going very very well. Um, the, the this comes out of just an observation. So I have, um, you know, sugar has been one of my favorite uh, favorite indulgences. Let's leave it at that. Um, well, so was that an indulgence was, or addiction, Bill? Yes, uh, it's, it's both. There's no question about that. Um, <laughs> okay. So it's uh, as I was working to clean it up, right, and I started getting, you know, moving again toward a, a cleaner, live, fresh, raw diet. Um, what I noticed is um, two things. One is that there, there comes a point where the, that hunger, that craving really, really increases dramatically. Um, but the other thing that I noticed was that um, I've got this strong association with food as a reward that, well, you know, I've somehow suffered, I've worked hard enough, I've, you know, um, yeah, strained hard enough, I've put in enough effort, and I deserve a reward. And it's really a subtle program that, you know, a subtle part of the personal code that's in there that is the permission to indulge, you know, the permission to um, um, to abandon any kind of discipline that I'm trying to develop. Um, so I wanted to just mention that sort of as an insight, but then also ask specifically around the sugar addiction because I think um, it's pretty rampant in our culture. Um, if you have any specific advice around that other than all of the above. Um, this is certainly all of the above. Uh, but specifically on the sugar addiction, if there's um, anything you found to be useful, effective in terms of um, clearing that. Well, I, I, a couple of things. Awareness, you know, in every arena is always a, uh, mm-hmm. a champion piece of the puzzle to have a hold of. I think, one, the awareness of just how addictive sugar is. We're actually, there's some new numbers out that I heard recently that the average person in America today eats 250 pounds of sugar a year. And that's uh, mm-hmm. that's a whole lot of sugar. And that that sugar is actually, they found in animal experiments with uh, animals that have addictive pathways similar to humans that it's actually more addictive than cocaine that that actually they they took a group of rats and uh, put them in a a maze where they could select a reward and it was either sugar or cocaine and 94% of the rats uh, selected sugar and they took a group of rats uh, and purposely addicted them to cocaine and then they put mm-hmm. them in that environment where they could make a selection, and 84% of the rats shifted addictions from cocaine to sugar, stopped selecting wow. the cocaine and, and, and took sugar. Mm-hmm. So I think just awareness of how powerful addiction it is uh, is key. I think awareness of what it really does to health, that it really is one of, you know, at least in, in a lot of uh, medical research, there's a lot of research out there that's telling us that when we take in especially excessive amounts of uh, of pure sugar, something that doesn't have nutrients in it, that mm. it raises uh, the um, uh, insulin levels so much that it's a real factor in aging and stressing the cells, this insulin bounce that happens with sugar. So I think mm. awareness of mm-hmm. what we're doing to ourselves with it, uh, with as with any addiction, that uh, that awareness can be a, a great motivator to move us in the direction. And sugar, I, I think, is one of the uh, the toughest addictions to break because what's happening with food manufacturers who are pumping sugar into virtually everything that we uh, buy that's a prepared food is that there's a genetic uh, inclination to eat things that are sweet because the level of sugar in a ripe edible food tells us mm-hmm. when it's ready to eat. And so we're being doubly tricked by the fact of there being a refined sugar in something because it's uh, – 
it's giving us a uh, a signal that oh this food is mm. good for us and so i think just the knowledge that that's not what this means anymore uh, you know if we've got a mm-hmm. tomato and there's a, a measuring device called a Brixie scale, or a, not the device, but right. a scale, mm-hmm. and there's a device that measures right. it. And when the Brixie numbers are high, that's when the tomato is at its highest point of nutrient density and therefore mm-hmm. feeds us. And uh, the uh, food manufacturers, having recognized that, use that marker uh, to give us that drive to mm-hmm. eat the product because there's a an ancient memory that says this is where nutrition is and it's just a lie. And so I think awareness of all of that is helpful. And beyond that, mm-hmm. I think that a 12 a step program is, is one of the ways to, uh, to assist and also to recognize that when there's a, a stressor that isn't resolved, mm-hmm. that it's a way to anesthetize against that. And so that brings, of course, the worksheet process into it, the forgiveness process and mm-hmm. alleviating the uh, the addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would be my input. Okay. Great, which, of course, requires the willingness to uh, have the experience. That's... <laughs> uh, well, I think that I think Central. that uh, you know awareness is one of the steps to bringing willingness. Yeah, that's always the, exactly. the key is the willingness. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. to but, you know with awareness we can stop telling ourselves stories. You know, if I I, I can mm-hmm. always come up with the mind is the greatest liar in the world. Rationalization, rationalize, and the mind can lie to us about, as you said, well I deserve it because well let's see I deserve mm-hmm. this pure poison because I did something good. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a rationalization, and uh, so I can start to let go of my stories that keep me in that. And actually, what I'm getting ready mm-hmm. to share is a series of stories that a person is telling themselves to avoid dealing with their addiction and, uh, mm-hmm. and to own it. So, owning it's mm-hmm. a big step in the process, and of course, that willingness is, I think, a big key. Right. Right. Good. Okay. Michael. Good. Yes, we. I also just got a text. Um, Mitzi says she's watching the baby and says she has pretty much a noisy background, but she wanted to comment on Bill's request for help with sugar indulgence and said there is a mineral supplement, uh, chromium, that helps reduce cravings in addition to it helps balance the insulin levels in the body. Mm-hmm. Great, thanks. Thank you, Mitzi. And Mitzi, yes. Thank you both. Huh, okay. Well, great. Thank you. Great hearing you guys. And um, I'll jump off and open the space for others. Appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. And Gene. All right, sir. And Blessings. Uh-huh. Appreciate All it. right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, so yesterday, or the day before yesterday, I posted a uh, a picture of several brain scans on my Facebook page. It's a picture that I've used in treatment centers over the years and such, uh, especially with young people. And again, it, it helps with awareness. But it's a if you if you're not connected with this on Facebook, you can go take a look at that at J M underscore Rice R Y C E. That's Jeannie and Michael J M underscore R Y C E. And friend us while you're there. But you can take a look at that picture, and it's a, a friend of mine named Dr. Emmons, who has a clinic out in uh, California, where as a psychiatrist, he does brain tracings. He, uh, he literally has uh, found a way to take pictures of patterns of the way the brain is working. And when there are anomalies in the function of the brain, these brain tracings show those anomalies. And the the picture's got, I don't know, I think about eight different brains on it. It shows what the uh, the top, uh, from the top, what the, the brain function looks like in a normal, healthy brain with aspect imaging. And then it has a picture from the bottom that shows what normal, healthy functioning looks like. And then it's surrounded with, I don't know, six or seven other uh, pictures of brains and different uh, titles. And what I usually do if I go into a treatment center is I take this poster and I hold it up and I, I briefly explain that, you know, normal function looks like a uh, symmetrical, full rounded, you know, kind of fluffy looking energy pattern. 
And where there are anomalies, there are holes, there are indents, there are, you know, places that it indicates that, you know, this is a damaged brain. And I hold the poster up and it's got uh, people doing drugs like crank. It's got people on cigarettes. It's got people who are depressed. And it's got a brain of a 16-year-old on pot, two years of pot use. And I hold the poster up and I explain that if uh, holes, indents, dark spots in the, in the pattern mean brain damage, which brain do you most don't want to have? In the upper right-hand corner is this picture of a 16-year-old boy after two years of pot use. And everybody points to that one. Now, of course, we live in a culture that says pot's a soft drug. You know, pot's a natural thing. God must have put it here for us to use. Well, if all things natural were put here for us to use, then maybe we should be smoking arsenic on the weekends, you know, or through the week or every day. I, you know, I don't know. There are lots of natural things that will kill you. Uh, just because it's natural doesn't mean it was put here for your consumption uh, through lungs or other means. Just a question. And, of course, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, so there is a huge amount of information out there that plain and simple is a fraud that perpetrates a theft on people by convincing them that pot is a soft drug that never hurt anybody. And my conclusion after what I've done with it over the years uh, in terms of uh, working with people on pot and looking into the research is that the reason why pot is so damaging to the brain is that THC happens to be a molecule that inserts into a brain cell. It does this throughout the body, but the uh, impact is increased because the brain takes about 10 times the amount of nutrition and oxygen to operate as any other organ in the body. So THC inserts itself in the cell and blocks the openings into which nutrition enters and the openings through which wastes are removed from the individual brain cell. And the estimates, and I don't know whose numbers are correct, I don't know if anybody's absolutely, you know, finally proven what they are, but estimates are that the half-life, that is the length of time that it takes to consume for the body to metabolize and remove those THC molecules is somewhere between eight days and six months. So once one plugs up brain cells, there's a, a block in nutrition entering the individual brain cells and a block that keeps wastes in the individual brain cells over a period of somewhere between eight days and six months, the body's able to metabolize half of it, which means there's still half left, and then six months later, there's still half of that. Six months later, there's still half of that. Six months later, there's still half of that. I think that's why it's so brain destructive. And, and again, not just the brain. Uh, that happens throughout the whole body. There are all kinds of untoward effects. But in particular, what it does to the brain and so I had posted this poster, and uh, someone who I've worked with over several years, someone that's very dear to me, uh, who has had a challenge with pot, posted a like on it. And so I dropped a note saying, uh, well, uh, have you defeated it? Have you, uh, have you gotten rid of it yet? And so that was the start of the conversation. And I'd like to just share because it, uh, it really opens a space to look at how the mind that's locked in the addictive process operates and keeps us stuck in those patterns. And so the question started out and said, do you, you know, have you gotten over it? And the answer was with exclamation points, no. So I asked the question, how can I support you? And the response came back, you know, I, I asked, I know that she has a, a younger sister that is very close to her. Uh, and I asked if she had, the younger sister has recently moved to, uh, to live with her, if she'd introduced her sister and got her sister poking, smoking pot yet. And I asked that question specifically 
as a motivator because I know how dear her sister is to her. And in a million years, I couldn't imagine that she'd introduce her or have her smoking pot. And so I asked that question uh, to, you know, perhaps help to create a little bit of stress within her own brain to say, I wouldn't introduce my sister to this, but because I cherish her, but I do it to myself. And her response to that question came back with uh, three exclamation points after it, of course, that said, of course not. So I asked the question, why not? And she said, well, initiated her, and why not? And I said, well, you've already energetically introduced her, her to it by her living with you and you smoking it. You're hiding it, but energetically you can't hide it. And so... This makes an impact, and you know I'm working to uh, invite a stress into her brain to get her to look at her own use of pot. So she agreed that that makes sense, and then she shared her story, and and this is where the addicted mind gets tends to get lost in its story. So she says, "Well, where do I start? I'm at the bottom of a rabbit hole, and the walls are like a fast-moving tornado." I was doing great until a certain event happened in my family system, and I lost my dog. So I said, well, and so she says, how do I deal with this? What do I do? And I um, offered my support in understanding where she was at with an ouch. And I said, well, you, you do it like you eat an elephant one bite at a time. You cannot be in touch with the unconscious forces creating that create you, that create your why is this happening to me again experience, while you drug yourself against awareness and feelings. You create stress unconsciously, and she's well acquainted with the work. She's done worksheets over the years, many of them, but this is an issue that just hasn't, you know, she hasn't been able to touch as yet. So I said, you create stress unconsciously and then keep it unconscious with pot. That's the the cycle that one gets lost in. And then you rob yourself of the awareness of what it takes to heal by drugging yourself. And she says, yes, I have that knowledge. I could tell it to all people and I understand, but I'd like to try something different like cutting the elephant into pieces. So here's a story. Instead of confronting, I'll cut this elephant into pieces and make it manageable. Of course, this is a conversation we've had several times. And if I made a seven-day plan for myself with goals and objectives and a reward, it would be more fun. And when it's over, up and down for a long time, the little victories don't mean anything. And I eat out of control as well. And she goes on to say, and we would go to a worse time of day, 7 to 10 o'clock at night, a dark zone, and I'm out of control. My dad is living in the house with me on weekends, so that made a huge difference. But there's no middle ground. It's all or nothing with this. So my next reply back, and I'll invite you, Terry or uh, uh, Gail, if either of you have a thought to uh, support, because I invited this young lady to um, to call in and talk to us on the show, but she decided she wasn't quite ready for that at this point. She said she will at some point, but not now. But if you have any input along these lines to support in this dialogue, I'd invite you just, you know, kind of shouting out and saying, hey, how about, and, and give us some input. So then I offered that the first goal, she wanted to do this using the goal process. And so I said, the first goal I would suggest is to enlist your husband in a commitment to stop. Because if uh, if you stop and your husband continues, it's probably not going to work very well. And then I suggested don't buy it. Don't have it on the property. If you're hanging out with friends who smoke, stop hanging out with them. And and then I offered the thought, you can't clean up a clouded life with a clouded mind. And then I was holding the space for that. She said, well, I have no friends that, that smoke. In fact, I have no friends. And there's a laugh. And she said she has, you know, a couple of friends that she only sees three or four times a year. And I suggested that one of the things she might want to do is to get some clean friends to hang out with. 
And she shares that she's stuck. She sees that she's stuck in the pattern of her mom. And that goes like this. I work all the time, so I don't do much with friends. I don't have free time, and I'm stressed, so I smoke. Then I just work more and get obsessed with silly things and do binge research, another addiction, until my mind is full and end up with not working on things that are urgent. Then everything is late, so I procrastinate even more. Then the pressure becomes overwhelming. My mind goes into super focus mode, and I get 80% of my backlog done in 20% of the time because there's a do-or-die situation. And so what I hear her doing, and I'll, I'll maybe invite Gail's input and or Terry's input, is what she's describing here is what I think the first step is about is to acknowledge that your life has become unmanageable. She goes on to say, you know, she said it's like that all the time. Then I can't focus 80% of the time. It's absolutely nonsense and chaos. I'm like a broken record. I feel like this is what I wrote down on my very first list of things at my first intensive. Years later, thousands of worksheets, and I'm back to square one, but more tired and much heavier in all senses of the term. And so my, my offering at that point is, yes, and if, if, if you went out and bought yourself a new Ferrari, let's say that you decided that you knew you were a good enough driver that you could win the big race, you know, you could go to the Indy 500 and win it, and you go out and buy, and I know they don't put Ferraris there, but you went out and bought yourself a new Ferrari, you spent a quarter of a million dollars, you've got this awesome car, and you're going to enter the race to win. And you get on the starting line, you pump your emergency brake on as hard as you can, you slam it into first, and you take off to win the race. Doing your work with a mind that's got a tremendous they did some interesting research with apes where they forced apes to do about two years of heavy human pot use and then they sacrificed the apes and what they found was that the brain density of the apes was reduced by a full 80% that is 80% of information carrying capacity was destroyed by the use of pot and so when I say I'm doing my work, but I keep drugging myself, I'm, I'm trying to win the race with the emergency brake on. It's just not going to happen. And so, you know, what I hear is a description of an unmanageable life. But then the rationalization that though my life is unmanageable, I got it all under control and everything's fine. And so, uh, Terry, um, Gail, do you have any thoughts uh, for uh, – for our uh, our person we're offering support to? Hey, Michael. Hey, Terry. Sorry. Go for it. Okay. Um, well, there's a lot there, you know, in that little dialogue that you had with her. There's a whole huge, lot huge. <laughs> so that's, that's part of that acknowledgement for an individual is that okay, this is going to be a process and it's going to take some effort and time and willingness and all that good stuff. And um, one of the uh, key components between 12-step work and YGAM work for me personally and the reason that I've continued to hang in there with both uh, the YGAM once I started to connect with it 14 years ago is that both of them, if you're willing to look at it truthfully, require complete responsibility for your life. You got to see it. You know, the buck stops here with me, you know. So I'm, I'm taking responsibility for my life in every area. And uh, I just love that. And, and the flagging work expands on that and really opens up a deeper level of work for in my situation or case or experiences it may be. So with that said, there's some nice things that I've been hearing for 30, over 30 years now, and I still want to be reminded of it because of what you said about uh, taking the shower daily, you know, because uh, i got to keep my mind clean, and, and whatever's coming up, whether it's genetics, environment, or whatever, it doesn't matter. It comes, you know, it's, it's, it keeps happening, and so if I want to continue to 
uh, move forward uh, through that, then I'll acknowledge that. So one of the things that my sponsor says to me and he reminds me of is that first we stopped using drugs. That was the first step. That was that was in, that's the, the basic text there of the Narcotics Anonymous program, and whose focus is on addiction. You got to put the dope down. Then you can start to work on all the codependent issues in your life that are connected to and involved around the addictive uses and behaviors and all that. But you got to stop using the dope first. Okay, that's simple, but it ain't easy. That's another one of those little sayings. It's simple, but it ain't easy. So, person, in my experience, has to get to the point where, okay, I'm willing. I'm willing to feel whatever, do whatever. I'm going to stop. And you stop, okay? Even the heroin addicts that I'm dealing with, they go through this boxing and all these programs, and they string them out on the methadone and all that bullshit. Pardon my language, but that's what it is. They've got to stop using the dope and go through the experiences of whatever withdrawal it is. They go through and get to the other side of it. Then they can start to recover. Because the ones that I see, and I've seen lots of them, hundreds of them, that are transferred over from the street heroin to the suboxone and the methadone, just kind of hang out there and just go along on that. That's, that's all I'll say about that, okay? So bottom line is a person has to come to that place within themselves where, you know what, this ain't working for me anymore. I'm ready to do something different. And I'm going to start by stopping the drug use. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Willingness is uh, is a big piece in the puzzle for sure. She goes on to say that um, I smoke, then I cook, then I eat. Myself and my husband are 50 pounds overweight. Then I blame myself. I mean, it's just a whole cycle of then I go to the gym every day for four days, go super vegan, and then I go to a buffet, I load up on carbs, and it all goes down the drain. Self-control, I have no discipline. Of course, this is the uh, the addict story. I have no discipline, no self-control. Uh, can't keep a commitment to myself, and so I'm behind in everything. So I make new commitments, and I break them. Vicious circle. At least I woke up aware, and I know exactly what I'm doing to myself. There's the big, the first big step is awareness. And the willingness to uh, to give up the story. She goes on to say, it's like watching a bad movie and you know what's going to happen, but you have to keep watching. I can, pardon me, I'm on a numb train and it's going faster and faster. Not enough minutes in the day to catch up with everything. I know it's an illusion, but it's like I'm lucid dreaming. I'm a little discouraged today. I feel like the more I pedal, the less I'm moving forward. And she talks about, you know, I don't, I don't even know where I'm going. I have a hundred things going on and nothing is solid. And I think one of the other pieces of awareness to have here is that there's a part of the brain called the reticular activating system that once I set a goal – holds that goal in front of me. You know, in, in the laws of living, we talk with, about mind goal management and that one of the uh, faculties of the soul is will and that will is what manages the mind. And once I give the mind a task to do, the mind will do everything that it can in order to complete that task. And one of the, the things that we recognize that the mind or the soul is able to do is to, through the mind, keep a goal in awareness. And what happens is there is such an energetic drain on the brain once it is plugged up with THC that the reticular activating system starts to break down and it isn't able to hold the goal that I have, i.e. the goal to stay clean, in awareness because there's so much brain damage that's been done, and, and it's all recoupable. The brain can be detoxed, and it can be rebuilt. Everything is energy. It's not physical. If you thought it was a physical device, yes, it looks like it's damaged, and it's all over. But it's energy, and when it's restored, it can be restored. But 
once the brain is at a lower level of energy, we're actually getting ready to uh, to publish a, um, a video done by a psychiatrist named Gilkerson on uh, the myths of marijuana. It's entitled, and uh, he talks about how his interest in drug uh, abuse, and particularly pot, became uh, in the forefront of his life, and that was he was a, a psychiatrist in the school system. And he'd see small kids who were, you know, doing really well in school. Then all of a sudden, their academics and their lives would start to fall apart. And he saw this happen in such great numbers, he started looking at what's going on here. And what he found was it was pot use that would, had come into these kids' lives. And he actually starts the video out with a question. And, he's, you know, he's got an audience of uh, maybe uh, 30 uh, 15 to 18 year olds, 14 to 17, something in that age range. And he says, how many here believe the pot is not damaging to the brain? And, you know, everybody kind of laughs and scoffs and puts up their hands. Yeah, no, of course not. And then he, he asked an interesting question of these kids who were all pot smokers. He asked them, well, how many of you know somebody who's burned out on pot? And, of course, everybody says, yeah, of course, yeah, well, and his next thought is, so let's see now. You observe people who are burned out, which is a term that's used in the pot community or the drug community for organic brain damage. So you observe people whose lives are destroyed by organic brain damage from the use of pot, and you think you still think pot isn't destructive. And that's one of the stories that people, well, I'm not a real addict. I just smoke pot. And the stories, Terry, have you ever seen anybody, uh, Gail, have you ever seen anybody tell themselves stories in order to continue with their addiction and keep themselves in that cycle? Absolutely. Um, some, tell me a little bit about it. it. What are some of your thoughts, Gail? Uh, a couple of things I wanted to offer to you um, is to reiterate the first step, but one of the things that I heard around the tables, and I continue to repeat this because it's so important, is um, from old-timers, um, people that had more sobriety than me, um, is that they, this one guy in particular used to say, and he still says it, um, it doesn't matter if it rolls off, blows off, or drips off a table. It's all a symptom of a much greater spiritual problem. And I think that's very important to know um, in thinking about the hierarchy of drugs um, and thinking that alcohol isn't necessarily damaging, but it's legal, um, pot's next. And then we start to talk about, you know, people that are strung out on meth and coke and and crack and heroin. And now um, I guess the real threat right now that I've talked to um, the sheriff of Fayette County here. Um, he said that the, the major threat for him right now are people that are coming in on the synthetic pot, um, which is dipped in different chemicals that has people by the face. Um, it's even more threatening to, um, and more of a problem than meth. And I live, I think I live in the meth capital of the world right now, to tell you the truth. Um, but anyway, so um, no matter what the drug is, sugar, you know, once again, it doesn't matter if it rolls off, blows off, or drips off a table. It's a symptom, and it's it's 10% of the problem. Um, and the first step is a two-part step. It says, I am powerless over fill-in-the-blank. I'm powerless over alcohol. Um, my life has become unmanageable with that very um, important dash in the middle. So basically what that step tells me is I can't drink and I can't think. And 90% of my problem is my thinking. And my thinking, as, you know, we've learned from doing the wake-up sheets, I have a thought first and then I have a feeling. So we get caught up in what I call to be our unmanageability is um, we go from fear to anger to resentment to um, judgment. To, based on that judgment, the need to retaliate, which includes gossip, to guilt, shame, and remorse because we've acted on our resentment. And we get caught up in the cycle of, of doing that over and over and over again, and we can't get out of that cycle. And then we need to anesthetize ourselves because of how we feel. Um, we're reacting out of 
the the fear, the anger, the resentment, the the judgment, the need to retaliate. We retaliate. Now we feel guilt, shame, and remorse, and over and over and over again. And that's what I hear um, you talking about with this individual that they're caught in that cycle. And so we work the rest of the steps. And step two, we do something different to get different results. So we start to break that cycle. And then in step three, we make a decision um, to finish the rest of the steps. In step four, we we start to examine our thinking. In step five, we talk about our thinking to somebody else. In step six and seven, we start to let go of, of those thinking errors that are um, that are blocking us off from God. And then we start to make amends in eight and nine um, to the people that we've harmed out of our erroneous thinking. And in step 10, we start to do this every day. And step 11, we, we continue to hook up with the God of our understanding. And in step 12, um, we start to help other people and to um, work these steps every day in our life. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, too, my, my experience as a substance abuse counselor in a prison, what I did as an exercise, and it was very eye-opening to me, um, was that I separated everybody because there is a hierarchy out in the world and there is a hierarchy in prison for sure on why you're in prison. Um, I'm on prison because I OD'd on meth, you know, meth and or I was um, – got pulled over by stealing an anhydrous um, tank. And, and so, you know, this guy is high up on the, on the food chain. If you're in there for, for marijuana, you're not necessarily considered to be a, a criminal um, because of what, how marijuana is looked at compared to how meth is looked at. And then, of course, the people that are in there for alcohol for DUI are, are frowned upon even more um, because uh, that's that's the mindset. So I separated everybody. I separated. Um, I had both groups of guys in the morning in the morning um, group, and um, so I had 40 guys. And I said, "Go. Where's your drug of choice? Alcoholics go here." Um, pot addicts go here, meth addicts go here, crack addicts go here, heroin addicts go here. And they all sat together and I said, I want you to write down your thinking. What is your thinking? Oh, I'm just going to buy this amount of heroin and I'm only going to use this much and I'm going to sell the rest. Or I'm not going to blow my whole paycheck um, on this. Or I'm going to spend time more time with my family. Or I'm not going to cheat on my wife this time. Or, you know, whatever. And so I had them write all all their thinking down. And I had them share their thoughts. And their thoughts were the exact same all across the board. It didn't matter if they're alcoholics or if, if they're the meth addict or if they're the meth cook that was there. Their thinking was the same. And I had them write down their feelings. And their feelings are the same. So we have the same thing in common we have we have four things in common if we consider ourselves to be alcoholics and addicts no matter what we're addicted to whether it's sugar or whether it is whether it is sex um, pornography meth or pot um, we all have the same addiction and we still have an addiction that takes us out of that need Um, we had that addiction to being out of pain and that need to Gail? be driven by that thing. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the things I notice in the uh, in the list of uh, the things you had them write down, what their thinking was, is that each of them thought they could control their lives while using the Absolutely. drug, Absolutely. instead of recognizing that first thing of my life's unmanageable. And I loved when we did our early series on uh, addiction. I loved the piece that Dr. Tim put in of the uh, uh, drug counselor that he visited, and he was talking about this thing of life is unmanageable and I can control it or I can't. And this therapist reached into his drawer and took out a bottle of X-Lax and said, here you go. I want you to take this bottle of X-Lax. Now let's see how much control you have. (laughs) And, of course, you know, 
nobody's got any control there. You take that stuff, there's going to be some results. And and I think this the the one of the common things that keeps people out of actually facing and dealing with the unmanageability of their lives is I think I can control this. Once you put that substance in your body, it alters your thinking. And your thinking is where your life is created. And if you engage in a creative process that's unmanageable because of some substance that interrupts healthy thinking patterns and brings forward aberrant thinking patterns, you're in trouble. And so one of the things I think, you know, might be helpful is anybody who's stuck on pot or sugar or whatever it is, is to recognize, let me see, if I put this in my body, it's going to be like X-Lax. I can't control it. It's going to have an impact. And that might be a, a helpful piece to add to the puzzle. And Jeannie tells me that Dr. Tim is with us. So, Dr. Tim, uh, any input, any thoughts at this point in the conversation? We're down to, uh, I wish this was a two-hour show. We need two hours. We're down to just three or four minutes. But, Dr. Tim, how do you be, sir? I'm doing well, and I was enjoying Gail's and uh, Terry's input. I've only gotten to join you for the last uh, 20 minutes or so. So I'd rather listen. You guys are on a roll. Terry, any other thoughts at this moment? Is Terry still with us, Gene? Hey, yeah, I was on yeah, mute. Terry. I have to, had to get to my unmute button, so I wasn't distracted. I understand. No, no. My thoughts are: what a good show! Another good show. Glad I was here and able to participate. Yeah, good stuff. Well, my thought is with um, with the enormity of the topic because. I actually haven't gotten to the part of the text yet where the excuses come forward when I suggested to this person that they needed a community of support and that there are people in the NA community who have overcome their addiction and uh, are free on a daily basis from the use of an addictive substance. And the first response, and maybe we can just take a minute or two to talk about this, the first response, and I've actually got a list of 10 things that I'll share and we'll carry this show on tomorrow, but the the first response was, well, but I don't want to hang out with all those other addicts. Um, Anybody got any thoughts about that one? and, And, of course, it's thinking errors. That superiority attitude. Well, I don't really have a problem. You see, my life, everything's okay. I'm doing, I'm doing okay, and that's one of the lies the mind tells us, and keeps yeah. us in that alternate personality of um, of everything's really okay. Well, the fact is, it's gone to pot. Exactly. You can come up with two responses that come to my mind: is all the above, and keep coming back. Do your work, one day at a time. Gail, any thoughts there in the last minute or so? I was Gail, I would like for you to mention. I, I would like for you to Go say ahead. the four things you said. You had four things in common, and then you didn't um, name our, them. Our our addiction is one of them. Our thoughts is the other, and our feelings are the last one. We all we all do the addiction, no matter what the chemical is, and our thoughts and feelings. And the fourth one is the solution. Um, when we get into a twelve step group and start working the steps, we have the solution similar as well. So, and that would be a big part of that. I don't want to hang out with all all those other addicts. Is we're all the same. We all have the same, same addiction, same thoughts, same feelings, and the same solution. And one of the challenges so, is, is that thinking I'm better than, so I don't need to go yeah, absolutely. hang out with those drunks or those drug addicts. And that's what kept me from going around the tables for 11 years um, is that I'm better than I haven't done this yet. And we use that as an acronym of you're eligible to. So share with us. That's we'll, my contribution. We'll run the clock right now. Go ahead. Um, I, 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 I'm just grateful to be a part of this, as, as Terry mentioned, and I look forward to doing this tomorrow. Okay. Well, we'll continue the conversation tomorrow. We're down to the last few seconds. Of course, this could be a 50-hour show, I'm sure, but we'll continue the conversation tomorrow. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. Appreciation and blessings. Bye-bye.
thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael Jeannie or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's w. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.